welcome to the ninth episode of the Invisibility Today podcast. I'm your tiny disabled host, Laura Elliott. This month, I'm happy to introduce you to Francesca Dean, a young journalist and disability campaigner who's here today to talk about being a part of ITV's Breaking Into News scheme, challenging stereotypes of cerebral palsy, and the importance of social care for children and young people with disabilities. Welcome to the show, Francesca. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm very happy to have you. So firstly, would you like to talk a little bit about your background and work over the last few years? Yeah, so my name is Francesca Dean. I'm 23 and I have a condition called cerebral palsy. Um, over the last year and a half, I've been working at Black Bay Newton and I was also a contestant on the Breaking to News competition. And that was... That was really quite life-changing, to be honest with you, because when you get thrust into that kind of work, it really opens your eyes into what you can really achieve and your potential. And since then, since that competition, it has been absolutely tremendous. <laughs> it really has. Um, what have you been up to since then, then? I've, I've just literally been really trying to get my, my word out there and trying to kind of... Uh, increase my, my increase my own awareness, but try and increase the awareness for um, children and young people living with this condition because I don't really think there's enough awareness going going on with it. And uh, to be honest, I'm sick of parents feeling so isolated and feeling like they can't really do anything to help themselves. And I think that with the work that I do, I feel like I am that voice. Absolutely. And you were part of ITV's Breaking Into News scheme, which is yeah. kind of cool. So can you tell me a bit about how you got involved and what it was like to work as a broadcast journalist? Yeah, so the Breaking Into News competition, I was just randomly scrolling through Google one day and I, cause I wanted to try, to try and do a journalism course. And this opportunity came up and I thought, oh, wow, this looks absolutely amazing. I thought, I wonder what this kind of entails. So I read through it and I wasn't actually going to enter it, first of all. And then I think it was a carer that said, you know what, you've actually really you've actually really got potential in this, so why don't you just apply? And I said I said, you know what? I said, I think I think I will. So I, I, I applied for it, entered my details and I really didn't think I was gonna get that far. But to beat two hundred and fifty people out of the constitution and into the final ten was just it was just madness, to say the truth. It was just absolutely surreal. I bet. And so what we, you, um, you actually, before this interview, sent me a report you did as part of ITV. Um, do you want to tell me a bit about how yeah. that went? Yeah, so the, the interview that I did was all about youth loneliness and why this has really, in, well, just recently, why this has really come about in layman's terms because I was just so sick of young people not having anywhere to turn to, especially if you've got a disability or a mental health issue. And I thought, well... This really, really shouldn't be happening in terms of like all the technology we've got and you know all the resources we've got there. And yet, it was shocking that so many, pe so many young people, like my age, were suffering like this. And I thought this has got to stop, especially with, with those that have got a disability. And I thought it was just something that was really, really important. And the reaction has just been phenomenal. It's brilliant. And uh, what was your experience? working as a disabled woman like in the TV industry? To be honest, um, it has been really, really good. I, I really enjoyed working with a, a vast majority of people. So like Lucy Meekoff and Tony Morris from Granada, of course. But I do think that there needs to be 
more of, more of an awareness out there. And I think so. I think a lot of people need to realise that we're not robots, we're not machines. We are real human people with a voice, and we do have opinions, and we and we will express them. Absolutely. What do you think um, TV could do to help get more disabled people into the industry? I think they need to be more hands-on in terms of like filling application forms out for, for clients and, and really saying to their colleagues, look, this, this is a real nugget potential because if they if they don't do the process properly, then how, then how are we going to get the voices of today heard? And I think that is something that needs to be really thoroughly highlighted. Because I think, you know, if you really miss out on these opportunities, then, then, it's, then it's blown, really. And I think it's a real, real shame to not let those who have got a real talent shine through. Absolutely. Do you think um, working hours in TV have anything to do with, like, the reason some disabled people don't feel like they're welcome there? Because it's quite intense. Maybe, because obviously, you know, you've got, you've got to think about uh, the practical, you know, the, the, the physical... Um, practicalities as well as emotional but I think um, I think if you have I think if you have the right network around you and I think if you are very open you are very honest about your disability and say look I've got I've got this condition then nothing should stop you and I think if you have that right attitude then then anything's possible. You said before we started the interview that you'd like to talk a bit about the impact of social care on children and young adults. Um, did you have experience of social care growing up? Yeah, I mean, it has been you know, up to now really, really good. You know, my carers, my carers are really supportive. I think the biggest drawback, however, is when you have carers leave because, you know, you do get a bond going. I mean, I do, especially with the younger ones who are more my age, you know, who are really into doing makeup and fashion and, and things like that with you. And I think... Um, I think yeah, I think it's just really sad when they, when they leave because you you know you do have to have that relationship with them because at the end of the day you're you're welcoming them into your home mm. and I think that sometimes I think that's what's forgotten is that you know these people do come into your home and they do share your life with you and I think yeah I think that is forgotten but you know on the whole my care are really really supportive and really well looked after and also I have my have my family that come and uh, visit me often as well so yeah I'm very very lucky. Absolutely do you um have you seen any impact on your carers with you know things like funding cuts? Yeah um I think so yes because um you know they say oh well sometimes is it really worth it you know due, due to petrol and things like that but I think they I think they understand that they do have a sense of enjoyment within the job as well and you can you can see that you can see that sometimes on their faces, and I think they realise that is that is more positive that is more positive than the than that side of it. And you know, some of them, yeah, they do really enjoy it. Yeah. Do you think um, carers need more support um, in their Absolutely. industry? Absolutely, because you know it's not just about going from A to B. It's about transforming. It's transforming people's lives, and you know, and not only just myself, but elderly people you know need that companionship they need somebody to talk to you it's not just about giving personal care or medication it's transforming that that person's life and you know if you can help do that then you know the chances of them living a better quality of life are endless it's just about finding those right people 
Yeah, completely. And it's, I mean, how would your life be impacted without the support of your carers? I think, to be honest, I, I, I wouldn't be as positive and as bubbly as I am. I think I would, I think I would end up in quite a, in quite a bit of a shell, to be honest. And I, I really do think my opportunities would be extremely limited. But I'm so, so lucky that I've got a, that I've got such a supportive family as well. Um, you know, it's like my mum and dad. You know, when they when they saw that I was doing the Breaking the News final, their reaction was just unbelievable. And I took my mum down to the London final. And there was paparazzi everywhere. We were, lit- we were literally everywhere. Everyone wanted to talk to us. And my mum was like, this is really happening to you, isn't it? And I said, yeah. <laughs> I, said, I said, look around. I said, look where we are. It was just absolutely unbelievable. Her face was just, I'll never, I'll never forget it. And it's so important as well that there are these schemes because it's <laughs> difficult to break into that yeah. without this extra support too. And I, and I think it's really important that that these schemes are designed because I think young people with a disability really need that focus and motivation because you do you do sometimes lose that motivation in life and you know you look at these schemes and you look at how life changes they are and you just think well if they can do it I can yeah it's it's all about seeing yourself represented as well isn't it absolutely absolutely and going back to the social care side of it as well um I want to try and focus with that because I see so many young children and families out there that are really struggling and it's just really not fair. And, you know, with all the cutbacks, I just think, well, yeah, your child might your child might have cerebral palsy, but there is a beacon of hope and I really do feel like I am that voice of hope for so many people that don't really feel like they've got anywhere to turn to. And you've, you've mentioned you have cerebral palsy. What was it like for you growing up with cerebral palsy? And do you do you think there's still stigma attached to be to growing up disabled? In a way, I, I feel really, really blessed because I've been given the same childhood and the same chances as, as everyone else. But the biggest thing was I got to go to... I mean, I went to Torview Special School in, in Haslandon, first of all. Um, and then, I well, before that, I went to a nursery because they thought I needed extra help after, after I was born. But then when I went to Torview, they said, well, actually, um, she can be educated in mainstream school. Because obviously it was all—it was almost a bit like someone had turned a light bulb on in my head, and it was like I knew all my colours and everything. And then they said, right, well she can go to mainstream school and she can be educated. And I think for me, that has been the best outcome because, like you know, because as I've grown up, I've been able to offer so many help and so much support to those people who who really really need it. Um, and yeah, I do think there is a bit of a stigma, but do you know what? I have cerebral palsy and I am who I am. And if people don't like it, well, they can do one. You're so right. What are some of the, like, misconceptions about cerebral palsy you encounter? Um, people say to me, oh, oh can, you, can you walk? And I'm like, well, no, I've got a voice, but to me, as long as I have my voice and my speech, then, that, then that's all that matters. And doing things like this is really, really important for me because... Because I just want people to realise that they're not alone. They're not alone in what they're going through. And I just think, well, yeah, I can't walk. But this, to me, is far more important than any other physicality. And also, it's all about accessibility, isn't it? It doesn't really matter if you can't walk, as long as you can get places. Absolutely. Um, How accessible Mm -hmm. do you think the world is to someone who uses a wheelchair? I think there are some places that are accessible. But I think... In terms of accessibility and stigma, 
as you've just said in the last question, I think we do have a long, long way to go mm. in terms of making sure that it's absolutely, absolutely spot on. Because I think there's so many people with cerebral palsy and similar disabilities that are really missing their chances to really shine and thrive in this world. And I, do, I, I just don't think that's acceptable. I completely agree. Um, going on from that, if you could change one thing about um, the political climate for disabled people at the moment, what would it be? I think this is a really hard question. Um, I think for people to just, you know, going back to what we're discussing about, you know, social services and, and social care, you know, people need to realise that, you know, this isn't just about giving giving a basic package of, of care. You know, we're, we're real people with voices and we do have feelings and emotions and you know just I, and I don't think it's right that people aren't given that many opportunities to access employment you know all these benefits all these benefits being stopped and I just think why because you've got some people that really really no offense but you've got some people, you've got some people that really really do fiddle the system in a in a way and I think that that shouldn't that shouldn't be allowed because there are real genuine people like myself and, and you, for example, that really, really do need it. And I just think, wake up! <laughs> yeah, it's a shame that um, the very small percentage who do fiddle the system ruin it for the rest of us. Absolutely. But, I, I mean, I'm, but you know, with, with, with doing these kind of interviews, I'm hoping to, re- to challenge that in the future and say, look, you know, look at what I've achieved and, you know, if I can pass that on to somebody else and be a beacon of hope for parents and children that are going through either cerebral palsy or autism or any kind of illness, any kind of disability related to that, then that is an absolutely, you know, that's a bonus for me. Absolutely. And it is, it's about seeing yourself out there. Which activists or role models have really helped you in the disability community? It's quite a lot, actually. I'd say Samantha Rank being one of them. Um, who you who you interviewed in December? I think she is a real real powerhouse in terms of getting those with disabilities heard, and I think you know she's absolutely going about it the right way in terms of you know being with visibility and designing handbags and stuff like that. Who else? Uh, Craig David, his music really really chills me out, and you know kind of gives me that kind of if I'm if I'm having a bit of a down day, which isn't very often. I'll listen to his music and then I'll put it on. I thought, well, actually, if Craig can do it, so can I. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Craig David. Who else? Um, Reggie Yates. I think Reggie, with his documentaries, I think I think he's a really good tool as well because he's not afraid to examine some of the real issues that are out there. And, and you know, he's, he's done so many documentaries. Um, also, Arisha Williams from, from JLS because his mum has, has MS. And, you know, he's documented that quite openly. And I think, you know, to be that open and to be that honest about a subject that isn't, you know, that isn't very nice to explore, I think he's done, you know, despite everything in the press, I think he's done a really, really fantastic job. I think everyone from Granada Books, well, I mean, they've been absolutely fantastic and instrumental in my journey because, you know, they've really helped me to kind of see my potential as a as a journalist. But also my work at Barbara News, so my, my work has been absolutely and fantastic all the all the people there and you know i think so many people see their job as just a job but for me having this job has been a real lifeline and they're just they're they're absolutely brilliant they're a real real good bunch of people to work with 
and I couldn't I couldn't ask for I couldn't ask for more really. It sounds brilliant. So everything seems to be going really well for you at the moment. But what are your plans for the future? Well, I would, I would like to kind of turn my attention to acting. So kind of maybe try and go down the acting route. But also as well, going back to the going back to my youth center where I work, I really want to help them continue their mission because what they are doing, what on side youth centers are now doing is, is fantastic. And I just want to say thank you to all them really because without their support and obviously from my family, I wouldn't be in this position now. Mm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be where I am now and to go from just a normal Rosendale girl from last year and to have all this land in front of me has just been the best thing you could ever you could ever wish for. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, if I can if I can again, if I can help so many other people to break down barriers then you know we've we've made a real cornerstone so and uh, i suppose like a little final question i guess if you could say something to disabled kids today or or parents of disabled kids who might be worried about the future what would you what would you say to them i would say to those who are facing critics right now people who are who are facing doctors saying oh well she won't be able to walk talk you know they won't be able to walk talk or this that, and the other then that's just nonsense because look at me, you know, I'm I'm twenty I'm twenty four years old and doctors did not think that I would even speak, let alone do do this. And I think, well, you know, you know, you might have said that about me twenty four years ago, but look, I'm doing it now. And, you know, no matter how many years down the line or no matter what the diagnosis is, you know, you you can still you can still do things and the potential and the opportunities are endless. You can follow Francesca and her work on Twitter at at Princess Fran. Now we come to our final section of the show, and this month I'm shining some visibility on one or two of the disabled and chronically ill creators you might be interested in lending your support to in 2019. In literary and writing visibility, there are so many of you doing such great work. Hannah Hodgson is a poet, YouTuber and blogger and her poetry pamphlet, Dear Body, is available to order now. You can also find her on Twitter at at SpooniePoet. Across the wide sea in Australia, writer, campaigner and all-round gem Carly Finlay has just published her first book, Say Hello. It's a memoir about growing up with ichthyosis, with thoughts on ableism, media representation and beauty privilege, which aims to encourage hope and disable pride. You can order it from HarperCollins now. I've also been sent a link to a short story collection by disabled writer Kayla Bash, entitled Soulmates and Starlight. It looks like an incredible collection, featuring a student who feels dysphoric about the alien parasites strapped to their chest, and a teenage vampire who defies her abuser to save human children. You can find Kayla on Twitter at at Kayla Bash, that's B-A-S-H-E, and buy the book at ennisrook.itch.io. Finally in books, this month Alicia Howard's YA fantasy book Awakener is available to buy on Amazon right now. The plot sounds incredible, so check it out if you can. And you can also follow Alicia on Twitter at at Alicia M. Writes. In fundraising visibility, Ella Shipley and her boyfriend Sam Harris are raising money for Nystagmus UK and are so close to their goal of £1,000. You can support them on Just Giving at www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash eshipley dash double N E two E. Bit of a mouthful, but I'm sure you'll get there. 
Also in fundraising and books, autistic editor and writer Lizzie Huxley-Jones is crowdfunding a collection of stories, essays and art by autistic authors and artists on Unbound. You can help them hit their goal over at www.unbound.com forward slash books forward slash stim. And finally in fundraising, a wonderful little scheme has been started by Megan Clenk called Chronic Readers Club. The club sends young chronically ill people care packages with books from their personal wish lists and you can help support the programme through their Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash chronic readers club. In accessibility, Michael Holden builds and operates mobile changing places toilets. The project is scheduled to receive an award from the UN next month, and you can check them out by searching mobilu at zeroproject.org. In music, Band Summers is creating chronically ill guitar pop, and you can find their music at soundcloud.com forward slash ban dash summers. Also in music, Megan Lynch has an album out called Songs the Brothers Warner Taught Me and you can download it from Bandcamp today. We're running out of time a bit now, but there are loads of great podcasts I've been sent, including the Sixplaining video podcast from Canada that you can find on Twitter at at Sixplaining, the Contra podcast on disability and design by Critical Design Lab, Andrew Gerza's Disability After Dark show about sex and disability, Nightlight Pod by Tonya Thompson, the Accessible Stall podcast by Kyle and Emily, and a cute queer romance audio drama called The Love Look Podcast by Erin Kayan. Finally, a few people have sent me call-outs. So if you're a writer or artist, then you still have time to submit to issue four of the Manchester zine Drawn Poorly by the 11th of February. They are looking for art, photos, stories, collage and more on the subject of barriers faced by disabled and chronically ill people every day. You can find them on Twitter for more details at at Drawn Poorly Zine. And continuing the zine theme, <laughs> that's kind of fun to say, Shape Arts are looking for zines by disabled artists to add to their zine library. You can contact Sarah who got in touch with me at Sarah, that's S-A-R-A, at shapearts.org.uk for more details. Now, so many of you got in touch this month with all of the great work you're doing, and I wish I could have included you all, but I will be collecting all of your links into a shareable Twitter moment over the next few days, so check back on the Visibility Today Twitter to find more disabled excellence. That's all for the first podcast of 2019, and what a podcast it's been! For now, we've reached the end of the ninth Invisibility podcast and I'll see you all in February when I'll be talking to author Lydia Ruffles about chronic migraine, synesthesia and publishing her second book with Hodder Children. If there's a disability topic, activist, creator or news story you'd like to see featured here in 2019, you can contact me on Twitter at at visibilitytoday or email visibilitytoday at gmail.com. For now, thanks for listening and I'll see you next month for another look at what's invisibility then.